Please stand to honor the words and work of our Lord in the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. This text is the basis for today's message. So Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you, have, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar, water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. 
They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of my favorite aspects about John's gospel is that he loves to paint pictures of people whose lives intersect with Jesus, and he meets them right where they are, but he transforms them. The way of the cross this day led Jesus through the hostile territory of Samaria. Now, you have Judea with Jerusalem in the south, and you've got Galilee in the north, but nestled right between the two, you have this enemy territory of Samaria, where there's so much animosity. This is the same place where Jacob's well was, was, was drilled, and this is where Jacob uh, met his wife, Rachel, and moved the stone away from the well so that Rachel's flock could be watered. Now, about 700 years before Jesus, the Assyrians came through and captured this region, and they kicked out most of the prominent Jews, left a few remaining, and intermarried with them, and, uh, and shared with them their other religions. So that only after the exile, when the other Jews returned, they considered those Jews who remained in Assyria to be, excuse me, in Samaria, to be religious half-breeds, less than. Now, about 400 B.C., the Samaritans erected a rival temple on Mount Gerizim in opposition to the temple in Jerusalem. But by the end of the second century, century B.C., this temple was destroyed by Judea. So you have all of these elements working together to create animosity between Israel and Samaria. And yet Jesus loves the outcasts. Last week we heard about the man Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the professional church worker who had everything all together. And today we have the woman at the well, the exact opposite, the outcast. Now there are obvious outcasts in our world today, the socially awkward, the people who don't fit in, those who sharply disagree with our conservative theology, or those who live lives that it's steeped in visible sin. But there are hidden outcasts, hidden outcasts today in our pews, those who are overwhelmed by shame and attend church but believe that God's grace is for everyone except for them, or those who sit with their believing spouse but they themselves have withdrawn away from God, or those who sit with burdened, hidden sin, that they're not quite ready to surrender to God, those who feel judged or offended or abandoned by God. But here's the good news. Jesus interacts with both, the professional church worker and the outcast woman. Now, all of us fit somewhere within this spectrum between the Pharisee and the woman at the well. Some may connect more with the Pharisee or more with the woman at the well, but we're all somewhere in between and Jesus loves all of us. Nicodemus was a man, a Jew, a ruler. This woman was female, a Samaritan, and a moral outcast. They both needed Jesus, and Jesus loves both and everything in between. 
Now, when Jesus loves outcasts, he casts out shame. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And here, thirst is a metaphor for longing, for desire. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches about the Beatitudes that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And yet, too often, our fallen humanity hungers and thirsts for other things, things of the world, anything but Jesus. But every time we seek to find satisfaction in things of this world, we're always left even more parched than we were before. Only Jesus can slack our thirst. The satisfaction of our thirst, the satisfaction of our redemption in Christ is in full. Jesus is enough. But not like the enough that's just barely enough. The enough that's overflowing, overwhelming, pouring out over more than we can contain, and it flows over like David in the psalm says, my cup overflows. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And I think she's thinking literally and not yet fully aware of the gift that Jesus is offering her in this living water. You see, for her, coming to the well every day is a reminder of her failings. And she thought that her greatest need was to no longer have to come publicly to this well and face ridicule because of her shame. And Jesus knows that her real need is to be cast away from her shame, to cast that out. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. At this point, dread starts to well up inside of her. Welling up inside of her heart. And that thought that if only you knew, you would probably withdraw your offer, Jesus. I knew that this was too good to be true. Certainly my marital past and my extramarital presence will exclude me from your offer. And Jesus knows that this will bring her to the tipping point, to the very end of herself. And when the woman answered, I have no husband, Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now the dread that was welling up in her converts now to shame, pure humiliation. Jesus knows. In fact, he probably knows more than he's even leading on to. What if he knows everything? And Jesus does know it all. He knows what we have done. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's in our thoughts. And that is terrifying. It should exclude us from the offer of grace. It should cause Jesus to flee our immorality and run far, far away. But he stays. And he reaches out. He has compassion to cause his living water to find a spring in our hearts and well up. He did not come for the healthy, but for the sick. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. See, this woman has faith in the Messiah, and that's powerful. This Messiah, the one who is anointed with the, with the very purpose of saving the world, now, here's the setup, for Jesus has, has led her along in this conversation to get her exactly to this point. 
so that he can put one final piece in place that makes everything make sense. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And suddenly everything clicks into place. The truth dawns on her and she's flooded with joy. Shame gives way and it was replaced with this pure, pure joy. Now, when Jesus approaches and loves the outcast, he casts out shame. And when that happens, two things occur, at least according to this particular text. Number one, that we worship in spirit and in truth. And number two, that we become springs of living water. Let's take a look at that first one, to worship in spirit and in truth. The woman says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. All right, prophet of God, paint this picture. Tell me, where are we supposed to worship? Now, for a brief time, I worked for Century 21 in real estate, and a part of my training there, they taught me that there are three critically important parts of real estate, location, Location, location. Jesus, where are we to worship? Jesus says. And she's wondering, where is God present? Is it here at Mount Gerizim, or is it in your place over at the temple in Jerusalem? Where? Where is it supposed to be? For us, we could ask the question, is it, is it here in the sanctuary? Is this where God is present? Or is he present over in Founders Hall? Or is he present over in the chapel? Where is the best place to worship? Are we supposed to worship in bright, vivid lights or, or in, a, in a dim room? <laughs> Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You see, her great, big, important question that was so meaningful to her was completely and totally irrelevant. No one has ownership of the presence of God. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And so worship can, can be everywhere and anywhere. Jesus says the hour. The hour is that hour of the cross, his death, his sacrifice, where he said, I thirst. And because of his willing sacrifice, obedience to the Father, we become welling up with living water. Worship is not done only in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim, but on Mount Calvary. And everyone who worships the Savior who died on the cross and burst out of the empty tomb worships on Calvary regardless of location. You see, this is the way of the cross. The only true worship of the Father is through his Son, Jesus. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. You see, our purpose at our core, what we were created to do, is glorify God. It's to worship him. That's what we were made to do. True worship has little to do with bright or dark worship spaces or or style of music. It has everything to do with worshiping in spirit and in truth. Now, worshiping in truth is is easy. That's that's worshiping the one true God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. It's, It's believing and confessing the ecumenical creeds as they're in accordance with the word of God. This is worshiping in truth. But what's it mean to worship in spirit? 
Well, to worship in spirit is the exact opposite of just going through the motions without thinking about what you're saying or doing or experiencing. She worshiping in, in spirit is being impacted by God's power, his majesty, his compassion, that the words of the sermon penetrate into your hearts. The, the songs lift up your soul and spirit and stir your soul. The sacraments wash over you and build and strengthen your faith and, and enable you to live in a different way. That's worshiping in spirit and in truth. And then finally, what does it mean that we become springs of living water? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now this is my favorite part of the text because what she doesn't do is turn her water jar upside down and just say, Jesus, tell me, teach me. I want to hear it all. Tell me all things. She sets her water jar down on the ground, forgets it, and rushes into town because she cannot wait to tell the truth of what she has just encountered, Jesus himself. And everyone's got to know. It reminds me so much of the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth when the angels made the announcement to them, they rushed to see Jesus in the manger, and after seeing it, they couldn't help themselves. They had to leave immediately and share the good news with everyone that they saw. And the town responded. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, and, and many, many more believed in him because of his word. There is great power in the word of God. The Holy Spirit works powerfully through the word of God to waken up our hearts to the power of life in Christ, to be springs of living water that overflows, and the Spirit never returns void. I want you to remember... Jesus loves the outcasts. Jesus casts out shame. And when he does that, we can worship in spirit and in truth. And we become springs of living water. And may this bring you peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.